politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Well, we're sending 8,500 troops to Ukraine, the United States of America, basically acknowledging the inevitable that Vladimir Putin is not afraid of Joe Biden and he's going to do something. So now we're amassing the forces, but Germany's not in. So all the allies are not all in, just so you know. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Not only talking about the lab monkeys in Pennsylvania, one of the lab monkeys on the run was infected. What was he infected with? That is the question, of course. What was he infected with? Hmm? Is this how the next pandemic begins? Daily Star says a monkey was on the run uh, in the U.S. in Pennsylvania, and now they fear that it was carrying a disease. A, a truck crash in the U.S., 100 monkeys. And they sparked infection fears after a woman who came in contact was warned over diseases. The test monkeys were on their way to a laboratory in Florida when the truck crashed into a garbage truck on Friday near Danville, Pennsylvania, with four of the primates escaping. Now, <clears throat> these monkeys tried to get away, and they've all been humanely euthanized, as they say, humanely euthanized. But now police were warning members of the public not to approach the monkey and now people are afraid that they might have been infected. Well, of course they were infected. Michelle Fallon from Danville told Fox 56 Wolf TV, the CDC said that she should monitor her health for any type of symptoms of an infectious disease after being close to them. She said, I have anxiety, so you know I'm going to be a nervous wreck for the next 31 days. Oof. Man. There is still one monkey unaccounted for. I, 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 I Apparently. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that's true, if there's still a monkey that's unaccounted for or not. I keep getting... See, there's different there's different variations of the story that are coming out there. But this story is updated today, and they say that there's still one monkey out there. So I don't know. A monkey on the run. Monkey on the run. Friday night searching for four monkeys in the wooded area along Route 54. What? Where did my sound go? Hang on, keep going. Come on. Spent Friday night searching for four monkeys in the wooded area along Route 54 off Interstate 80. Hours after the animals escaped from their transport truck that collided with a dump truck. Troopers tell us the transport truck was carrying 100 monkeys from Africa, taking them to a lab in Missouri. Eyewitness News confirmed three out of the four monkeys were found and put down. Michelle Fallon spoke to us at the scene late Friday night. She told us she was driving behind the truck just before the crash happened and thought it was crates of cats that had toppled. They had this like green cloth over, so I peel it back and I go to stick my finger in there to try to pet it and it pops its head up and I'm like, oh, it's a monkey. So I was like, I'm shocked. So I walked over to the guy and I'm like, they're not cats, they're monkeys. He goes, they're what? I'm like, they're monkeys. Even though the search was suspended Saturday, interest in the missing monkey. They're, they're monkeys. First of all, how freaky is that? Lab monkeys from Africa infected with disease, getting loose. And this woman comes in contact with them. I feel like this woman should be isolated at the CDC in Atlanta, like it's the stand or something. You know, that room that they kept the guy in, you know, they kept the, the dude from West Texas in. Sid, right? Is that, that his name? I forget now. Anyway. Well, that's kind of scary if you ask me. Uh, all right, we got a lot of news today to update you on on the afternoon podcast. <clears throat> First of all, the uh, cheery ladies on The View believe that we will be mask wearing forever and ever and ever. And they invoke, of course, the other famous 
fear incident used by the government all the time to justify crushing our civil liberties. 9-11, of course. To the post-mask part, because I think there's a prudence we've learned with the mask, the hand uh, hand sanitizing that kind of like 9-11. With First of all, hand sanitizing and masks are are two totally different things. I mean, I was using hand sanitizer long before COVID-19. I even the January of that year actually bought on Amazon a bunch of little Purell's because we have kids and you're out and kids are disgusting and they touch everything. And so we always carry Purell with them. We, we keep a little Purell thing on our like on the baby bag and stuff. That's not the same as covering your face in a mask. Like Washing your hands and sanitizing your hands is not the same thing. That's just the point number one. Flying is always going to be here now. There's a new normal. In the beginning, when post 9-11, people didn't want to fly. And the security measures felt like, uh, how do we do this? You know, And now it's the norm. I think some of the things we've learned in this pandemic are going to stay the same. I may never ride a subway again without a mask. I may never go indoors to big crowds and ever feel comfortable without a mask. And- does Sarah Haynes of The View ride the subway? I don't know. Does she really? I mean, does that is that a thing? Does she actually really work? <laughs> First of all, I have no problem not wearing a mask. And I think it's ridiculous to suggest that the mask are to be here forever and ever and ever. I may never ride a subway again without a mask. I may never go indoors to big crowds and ever feel comfortable without a mask. I'm sorry, but that is living in fear. That is living in fear, if you ask me. It should be if you are, like, at some point we have to say this is over and just move on. We have to move on here. We have to move on. This is crazy. Uh, I have some clips for you today I'd like to share with you from the White House press briefing that was a short time ago. First of all, Biden uh, is is not, uh, nobody's afraid of Joe Biden. Nobody in the world is afraid of Joe Biden. That's part of the problem that we're seeing today. We're seeing this play out with Vladimir Putin right now because he's not afraid. And because he's not afraid, he's going to do whatever the hell he wants. And that's the reality right now, number one. But before I get to Joe Biden, this is great. Libs of TikTok posted this. This is the mask police in an elevator. Here we go. Get out. Get out. Yo, stop. Get out. Get out. What are you guys doing? Get out. What are you guys doing? What's wrong with you? Get out. Don't touch me. Don't you have to. Do not touch me. Get out. Do not touch me. I'm not touching you. Oh, did you just hit me? Did you just hit me? You just hit me. You just hit me. You too. Black Lives Matter. Yo, this is great. Wow. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Stop. Yo, stop. Stop recording. I don't know you. Yo, you need to stop. Get out. I'm not getting out. I was here. So this guy's in the elevator first. These two white women liberals yelling at him, calling him Black Lives Matter. And then they punch the guy. And the whole time that they're screaming at him, their masks are coming down off their faces. What is wrong with people? What is wrong with people? There was uh, was a mandate in D.C. yesterday against mandates, vaccine mandates, and, and mask mandates and mandates in general. And Jen Psaki was asked about that today. There were a lot of people that went. Thousands of people went yesterday because people have had it with the mandates. Even people, of course, that are vaccinated have had it with mandates. Mandates are not the same thing as vaccines. They're different. You can mandate a vaccine. You can mandate lots of different things. You could be pro something and anti the mandate of that thing. Or you could be anti something but against the prohibition on that thing. Like I personally have long said the war on drugs is a failure. It doesn't mean I want to start doing drugs. It's the same thing. I could be vaccinated and not want mandates on vaccines. But that's not how the White House views things. You know, the, the, the way a left pers- a person on the left views things is it's either it's one, two camps. You're either in the pro camp or the anti camp, and that's it. There's no nuance. And if you're in the pro camp, then obviously you want it to be the law of the land and nobody would have a choice in the matter, period. 
That's how they view things. It's how they always view things. Very myopic. Okay, just one last one. Uh, just yesterday in D.C., not far from here, actually, there was an anti-mask, uh, uh, yeah. anti-lockdown rally where you know, some of the rhetoric around that was talking about Nuremberg-style trials to, to you know, hold Anthony Fauci to account, to go after the media for spreading lies, things like this. I'm just wondering how the, how the administration is going to respond to what appears to be a growing intensity and potential for violence in the anti-vax movement. Well, uh, we, we are well aware that there is a loud and vocal minority uh, empowered through social media and media platforms that proliferate disinformation, politicians who espouse conspiracy theories and fundraise off of opposition to public health. We know that. We also know that 87% of American adults have at least one shot. That's the vast, vast majority. Uh, and over 210 million Americans are fully vaccinated. So our view is that it's wrong, it's dangerous, and it stands in the way of a coordinated effort to save more American lives. You know, it's um, it's interesting that it's misinformation if you say you're against lockdowns, mask mandates, etc. Now, I, that doesn't mean you have to prove all the rhetoric it's spoken at a rally either. But it, but there is such an uprising right now against mandates and lockdowns and everything else that's going on. And at what point do we say enough is enough, particularly when it comes to kids wearing masks in schools? Well, the White House press secretary was asked about that today. And as you can imagine... You on schools in Virginia, seven districts representing 350,000 students are suing the state. They're hoping to get a strict mask mandate for students that has been rolled back by the new governor reinstated. So who does the president think knows best for students, school board members or parents? Well, the, parent, the, the president believes that uh, public health officials have the best guidance on what we can all do to protect ourselves, including teachers, administrators, and students. So, so the, as long as the public health officials are offering the guidance that we agree with, then that's it. Otherwise, we think that they're, 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 they're kooks who are offering up misinformation. Get it? That's what it is. That's what they're saying right now. And so you've got the situation, and this is the next thing that'll come, is districts are now suing to implement a mandate. <laughs> a friend of mine sent that to me today. And just so you know how fed up people are with everything. My friend is a Democrat, and she sent that to me today, and she said, this is what's next. This is next in all of this, is that we're going to start having these districts now suing to have a mask mandate on kids. They asked... Um, this fake doctor on CNN, I don't know, maybe he's a real doctor, I don't know, Peter Hortez. He says he's a vaccine scientist, author, combat, he combats anti-science. He's a professor of pediatrics molecular virology. He's the, to the Texas Children's Chair in Tropical Pediatrics. So I guess he's a doctor, I would imagine. Oh yeah, MD and PhD. But he's a, he's a media guy. He's always on TV. He's always on television all the time. He was on CNN today. The questions, of course, in, come with this are what of the mandates? What of the requirements? What is the best guidance and how to live in the midst of this? You know, in Virginia, the new governor there, he has a new executive order lifting um, school, ma school mask mandates effective today, which are allowing parents to decide um, whether their kids wear masks in school. What do you think about lifting, even if it's looking better, what do you think about lifting ma school mask mandates right now? 
Well, look, this is the most highly transmissible variant we've seen. We've got something on the order of measles. And and therefore, if you start lifting mask mandates now, you're basically condemning all the kids to get infected with Omicron and and having to live with those consequences, which mean that some kids will have to be hospitalized or, or possibly worse. So it makes no sense to lift mask mandates at this point. It makes every. It makes no sense to lift mask mandates at this point or at any point, because I guess oh, the pandemic is going to be here forever and ever and ever. So there's no point to ever do it. Fauci vows um, that he uh, he's never going to leave. He's never going to leave. You know, I had a conversation with somebody today, a very smart person who said to me something. They said, you know, because I asked the question, I said, when does this end? Like, what's the end game here with COVID and all this stuff and the mandates and the lockdowns and my kid having to eat it at her desk for 20 minutes a day and everything, 25 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is. What, uh, what, when does this end, right? And the, que- the, the answer was a very smart person who said it best, and I've said it too, which is, well, do you think Fauci really wants to go back to his office and be a, be a nobody again? And all the people that work with him, none of these people do. It's why they don't want to give it up. They should at this point. We all know how to live our lives. We've got vaccines and boosters and treatment and monoclonal antibodies and pills and everything, but they don't want to give it up. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Okay, today Joe Biden was asked about uh, what happened at Camp David. He got off of Marine One, walked back to the White House. Reporters' questions. Mr. President, after this weekend, are you more or less concerned about Russia invading Ukraine? All right, I feel better. How about you? Well done, Mr. President. Thank you for reassuring the world and the markets today. Thank you so much for that. I feel so much better. Today, Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby announcing that the U.S. is putting 8,500 troops on heightened preparedness to deploy to Europe. This comes right now with NATO ships, jets deployed to deter Russian invasion. Situation in Europe. We remain focused on Russia's unusual military activities near the Ukrainian border, including in Belarus, and consulting extensively with our transatlantic allies and partners. The department continues to support diplomatic efforts to de-escalate the situation. Now, as the president has said, even as we continue to prioritize diplomacy and dialogue, we must also increase readiness. In support of its obligations to the security and defense of NATO and the security of its citizens abroad, at the direction of the president and following recommendations made by Secretary Austin, the United States has taken steps to heighten the readiness of its forces at home and abroad so that they are prepared to respond to a range of contingencies, including support to the NATO response force if it is activated. As you have heard me describe many times, our commitment to the security of NATO allies and our Article 5 commitment are ironclad. As the President has also made clear, the United States will act firmly in defense of its national interests in response to actions by Russia that harm us, our allies, our partners. As part of that commitment, the Department of Defense maintains significant combat-capable forces forward in Europe to to deter aggression and enhance the alliance's ability to defend allies and defeat aggression if necessary. The United States also has a commitment to provide forces 
to the NATO Response Force, otherwise known as the NRF, in the event that NATO should activate that construct. And as you may know, the NRF is a multinational force made up of land, air, maritime, and special operations forces, all components that the alliance can deploy on short notice wherever needed. Altogether, the NRF comprises around 40,000 multinational troops. Within the NRF is something called the Very High Readiness Joint Task Force. All right, so let's understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about World War III is what we're talking about here. We are talking about 40,000 troops, 8,500 of ours going over there for emergency preparedness. By the way, you should know Germany is not in on this. The bulk of the troops are going to be ground forces. We're preparing for a ground war here. I mean, this is like the 1980s called, and they want their foreign policy back. Remember when the Democrats were all snarky with Mitt Romney about that in 2012? Remember that? Barack Obama saying that? Oh, Mitt. Oh, what was it? 1980. The 1980s called. They want their foreign policy back. Uh, uh. Because we have underestimated Russia, the Democrats have, and they knew not to mess with Trump. But they know now that they can mess with Biden. They can do whatever they want. They're not afraid of him. They saw what he did. They saw how he didn't stand up to China over COVID. They saw how President Biden did nothing uh, correctly when it came to the withdrawal of Afghanistan. It was a disaster. It was an epic failure. You don't think Putin sees that and knows that? Or VJTF. Uh, This NRF element, which is about 20,000 strong across all domains, includes a multinational land brigade of around 5,000 troops and air, maritime, and special operation forces components. I want to provide some facts on these preparations that will reinforce our commitment to NATO and to the NATO response force and increase our readiness. Secretary Austin has placed a range of units in the United States on a heightened preparedness to deploy, which increases our readiness to provide forces if NATO should activate the NRF or if other situations develop. All told, the number of forces that the secretary has placed on heightened alert uh, comes up to about 8,500 personnel. We'll continue to provide updates in coming days uh, about Uh, these decisions, Um, but specifically this will ensure that the United States and our commitment to the NRF uh, is is consistent with their readiness for for rapid deployment, again, if activated. In the event of NATO's activation of the NRF or a deteriorating security environment, the United States would be in a position to rapidly deploy additional brigade combat teams, logistics, medical, aviation, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, transportation, and additional capabilities into Europe. Again, I want to reinforce that as of now, the decision has been made to put these units on higher alert and higher alert only. No decisions have been made to deploy. Oh, that's good. They're on high alert and high alert only. I feel better. Do you feel better? Good. Oh, great. Things are going perfectly. Everything's fine. All is well. All is well any forces from the United States at this time. Uh, And I say heightened alert. In some cases, some of these forces were already 
on a, a heightened posture, readiness to deploy posture, and the secretary decided to make it even more, uh, uh, shorten the tether even more. So in some cases, units would go from, say, 10 days prepared to deploy. Now they're at five days. That's not the case for every unit that is being notified that they are on a heightened alert. Some are, are simply more ready and, and postured that way than others. The idea, though, is that all of these units that he is putting on prepared to deploy will be ready to go on a, uh, on a shortened time frame. Again, no final decision has been made to deploy them. The Secretary will continue to consult with the President, and the United States will maintain close coordination with allies and partners as we continuously review our force posture and make decisions regarding movement of forces into and within Europe. As always, we will remain in close coordination with allies and partners, as well as NATO and other multilateral organizations, as we continue to review our force posture, as we make decisions regarding potential movements of forces into Europe, and as we review the disposition of U.S. forces on the continent. Got it? Oh, man, unbelievable. I, I, I really can't emphasize enough how incredibly dangerous this situation is, how incredibly dangerous this is. Wall Street Journal reporting that Germany is not a reliable American ally, that Berlin is going its own way. They're privatizing cheap gas, or pricing cheap gas, I should say, car exports to China, and keeping Putin calm. That's right. Germany is taking a different approach with all this, putting Russian interests before those of the West. Berlin reveals a serious reality, facing the two most consequential security threats to America and to the post-World War II democratic, democratic international order, China and Russia. Germany is no longer a credible ally. For Germany, cheap gas, car exports to China, and keeping Putin calm seem to be more important than allied democratic solidarity. Ukraine's fate will convey on how Germany handles the situation. Berlin refuses to supply Ukraine with weapons and is actively preventing Estonia from doing so. In recent days, Britain has airlifted anti-tank weapons to Ukraine and conducted Ukraine-related intelligence-gathering flights, but while the intelligence flights have... Transited German airspace, the most direct route between Britain and the Ukraine. The weapons flights have been making detours around Germany. Britain's defense ministry played down the detours, but that's the point. Britain didn't ask permission because Germany would have said no. This is this is what's happening right now. So don't think that if we wind up having a shooting war here, Germany's going to be on our side here. Another illustration is Berlin's approach to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which will send gas to Europe from Russia. German regulators say the pipeline can't start working until it meets corporate compliance standards. That has rankled Mr. Putin, who wants it pumping now. In turn, the Russian president's Gazprom, which is his puppet company, has reversed gas flows through the existing Yamal Europe pipeline for more than four weeks. Russia has also cut off thermal coal supplies to Ukraine for more than three months. Mr. Putin's message is clear. Ukraine better roll over and Germany better approve Nord Stream 2. This is an energy blackmail and underlines why Republicans and until this month, Democrats had supported sanctions on Nord Stream 2. They knew Putin would use the pipeline to extract political fealty in return for heating supplies during the cold European winter. They feared he would use Nord Stream 2 to offset gas supplies and billions of dollars in transit fees that currently flow through Ukraine. But because of German pressure on the Biden administration and Senate Democrats, Nord Stream 2 and Mr. Putin gained a lifeline. A majority of Democrats last week rejected a bill from Senator Ted Cruz to reimpose sanctions on the pipeline, denying it the 60 votes it needed to pass. Germany scored a major win at U.S. expense, considering the alliance principle of reciprocity. We don't know what Biden has received in, re in, in return of this. 
Now, you think about this Nord Stream 2 pipeline, and by the way, Tom Rogan writing this uh, excellent piece in the Wall Street Journal. You think about this right now, and I want you to, to, to consider for a moment what Biden had said regarding Russia in the past, okay? He said a couple of points that he had made over the years. Number one, in 2016, Biden said the Nord Stream 2 pipeline will fundamentally destabilize Ukraine. So then you have to wonder why he waived the sanctions on the pipeline last year. No country should be able to use energy as a weapon. No country should be able to use energy to coerce to coerce uh, uh, policies from other nations or actions. And speaking for ourselves, speaking for the United States, Nord Stream 2 pipeline, we think, is a fundamentally bad deal for Europe. I, my colleagues joke with me when I say I never tell another man or woman what's in their interest. But I can tell you from our perspective, it looks like a fairly bad deal. And I know you are going to examine it and the rest of your colleagues in Europe as well. Europe needs diverse sources of gas, not, uh, in our view, new Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And uh, it's a lock-in greater reliance on Russia at this moment. Uh, I think risks this. I know it will fundamentally destabilize Ukraine. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, fundamentally destabilized Ukraine. And yet he stood down on the sanctions when it came to Nord Stream 2. Ask yourself why. Just ask yourself why. Also think about how our war on energy in this country is helping Putin when it comes to Nord Stream 2 and being able to capitalize on natural gas. Think about that. In 2019, Biden said he was uh, he was the right guy for the job because of his his he would be able to command the respect of Putin. You think that's what's happening right now? You think so? One of the reasons I am running is because of my age and my experience. With it comes wisdom. We need someone to take office this time around who on day one can stand on the world stage, command the respect of world leaders from Putin to our allies, and know exactly what has to be done to get this country back on track. Man knows what it takes to get this country back on track. Is that how it feels to you? Like we're back on track right now? Out of curiosity? We are standing at the precipice of World War freaking three right now. Now, how many Americans are in Ukraine? We've ordered it. We've asked them to come home now. We've said they should evacuate. They need to get out. Well, remember how well we handled the evacuation of Afghanistan. I mean, that was that was a stunning charmer. Well, today, Ned Price, the Biden State Department spokesman and mortuary director, he spoke on this issue. Uh, we do not have uh, an ac- account that we consider to be accurate uh, of the number of Americans, private Americans, uh, who are resident in Ukraine. Well, you know, to be fair, and, and this is an important point here, it's 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 we don't have an accurate number on that because we didn't have an accurate number on Afghanistan. So we don't want to make ourselves feel good or look good by learning from our previous mistakes and getting an accurate count. I hope that makes sense. Does it? Good. I think so. Right. That should make sense to everybody right there. So, you know, the um, New York City has is, is under siege. I mean, it is under siege in New York City. It's it's so bad what's happening right there in the city. Philadelphia is very similar to that. But the mayor of New York City just announced a short time ago he's going to bring back a unit that was disbanded in the wake of the George Floyd killing. Now, why they disbanded this in the wake of George Floyd's death is because they responded to that horrible situation of injustice by deciding now what they're going to do is they're going to turn around and become incredibly woke. 
And so they're going to stop going after criminals for no reason other than the left started screaming, defund the police, defund the police, defund the police. And that's what happened. But New York City is going to bring back that unit now to try to go after illegal guns because they know they need to because crime has been soaring in New York City since they got rid of it. But that's because the mayor, Eric Adams, doesn't want to give in to that woke crap when it comes to crime. He'll give in to woke crap on other things, but not on that. Today, Peter Ducey, the deuce, and Jen Psaki got into a little sparring match today over crime in this country and what's going on here. Now, it's really important to know that Joe Biden has not called on people to go back to work. I really do believe that a big part of the crime problem in America comes from a couple things. Number one, it comes from woke prosecutors who don't prosecute, number one. Number two, it comes from the fact there's a lot of people who are not working, and so they have a lot of freaking time on their hands. I think it comes from two things. Those are two things. But don't blame COVID. It has nothing to do with COVID. On crime, to follow up on what Ed was asking about, <laughs> would you agree that the most important job for any president is to keep Americans safe? I would agree. So you said that the president's never satisfied if people don't feel safe. Does he know that after a year in office, people do not feel safe in this country? Well, Peter, I think if we look at the facts here, we've seen a surge of crime over the last two years. Would you agree with that? So what are you attributing the rise in crime to then? Well, I think we should be responsible COVID. in how That's we're reporting to the public what That's the, what the, what the uh, roles are, what the reasons for the surge in crime. Gun violence is a huge reason for the surge in crime. Uh, underfunding. Gun violence. Because all those guns started shooting people again. The guns are very upset with things, you understand. Gun violence. Of pol some police departments and their need for additional resources, something the president has advocated for consistently through the course of his career. Yeah, but you know what, though? I, while the president might have advocated for it, he has not stood up to his own party and their calls for defunding the police. He hasn't. He said he fundamentally disagrees with them, but he hasn't told Democrats, hey, cut the crap. Our country's on fire right now. Knock it off. And he hasn't poured any federal money into those areas. That's something we know we need to take action on. And it is absolutely true that he will not be satisfied uh, or complacent when officers are being gunned down or when Americans have to worry about whether they can safely ride the subway or bus. That should not be a political issue. He's somebody who has had a long career of many decades of fighting for uh, funding for police departments for local communities in order to reduce crime. But he's been here in office for more than a year. And the murder rate is nearing a 25 year year high. So why don't we see and hear more from the president about this? We hear all the time about things that you guys are doing to fight the pandemic because that is a risk to American people. A rising murder rate is a risk to American people too, right? And he has spoken to crime, but I think what has people he? are most uh, uh, focused on, as they should be, are what actions he has taken. He has unveiled a strategy to focus federal law enforcement resources on combating vi uh, violent crime, offered unprecedented levels of funding through the rescue plan for cities and states to put more cops on the beat and invest in uh, proven community anti-violence programs, something every Republican voted against. The Department of Justice has announced $139 million in grants to cities for community policing, which will put... 1,000 more officers on the streets. He's also proposed doubling those grants, and he's called for an additional $750 million for federal... Do you realize what's happening here? Jen Psaki's talking about all the things Joe Biden would like to do, and then, of course, blaming that on Congress, as opposed to all the things Joe Biden could do right now on his own. And he's not doing any of those things. You know why? Because he doesn't want to upset Democrats. That's why. Could he declare, uh, use his federal powers to send in federal law enforcement tomorrow to help these cities? Of course he could. 
But he doesn't want to have to say to Democrats, I need to do this because we got to do something about the crime. And he also knows that a lot of those Democrats might tell him no. Do you remember when Trump tried sending in, President Trump tried sending in federal law enforcement to help out in cities? And do you remember what the universal response was? No, we don't want him here. We don't want him here. You think anything's going to change now if Biden asks him? No. And Biden's not going to ask them. So he won't do it. But why not? I mean, it could happen tomorrow. President Trump was more than willing to send in the FBI, to send in U.S. Marshals, to go in and help help out these, these cities and states. Not, not a federal takeover, but law enforcement providing assistance to other departments. They do all the time, every day, all day. But instead, what we have is a White House that is refusing, refusing to acknowledge the crime problem. And that it's happening in Democrat places, in Democrat cities. So she's going to talk about all the things Joe Biden would like to do about it. Oh, that's so nice. Law enforcement. He's announced a zero tolerance policy for gun dealers who sell willfully, uh, willfully sell illegal guns. And we've launched gun trafficking strike forces in New York and cities across the country. Actions are important here, and he has a long record of them. But does the president think that any of that is working? The president thinks you should have a plan to address crime and gun violence. He has one, and we look forward to working with people who support that effort. But as the murder rate nears a 25-year high, would he consider maybe trying something different? Trying something other than uh, supporting a massive plus-up in funding from his predecessor, cracking down on gun trafficking and gun violence, which is a major driver of the violence we've seen across the country, working to support community policing programs and police departments across the country. I think most people who want to fight crime would agree that's the right approach. You know, I think most people would agree that Biden has things he could do right now, and he's not doing them. Not doing them. And he's not going to do them. So I have to tell you also when it comes to uh, today with the Ukraine and what happened there, one of the greatest questions was asked today of uh, John Kirby at the Pentagon today. More than 100 warships. Does the Pentagon have any indications that perhaps a submarine may be trying to defect? No, we we do not, Jeff. The hunt for red. Warships. Does the Pentagon have any indications that perhaps a submarine may be trying to defect? No, we, we do not, Jeff. Why are you laughing? It's a good question. What if Marius is back and they are worried that a sub's going to defect, huh? I'm just saying. Well, it's possible, right? I'm just saying. It's very possible. Kakovny but Pakaru. So funny. The captain seems to think you're some sort of cowboy. (laughs) Ah, yes. Yes, 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 indeed. Whoopi Goldberg is very angry that Bill Maher dared to suggest COVID is over. How dare he, she says. How dare he? world anymore your mask paranoid world you know you go out it's silly now you know you have your mask you have to have a card you have to have a booster they scan your head <laughs> like you're a cashier and i'm a bunch of bananas <laughs> i'm not bananas you are that's 
not really funny to people who have lost their kids. Oh, here we go. To this vaccine, or people who have lost family members, or lost the kids to the vaccine. Is that a Freudian slip, Joy? Uh, Whoopi. To your friends, to this, it's it's just you know. Listen, nobody on the planet really wants to go through this. This is not something we're doing because it's you know sexually gratifying. No, this I, is what we're actually, doing to protect our families. No, and I, you, give me stop with the protecting our families. We 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 you, you just had COVID and you got over it. You're vaccinated. You had COVID and you and you're fine. You're at work right now. You're okay. That's his point. That's his point. We need to live normal lives again. Whoopi just had COVID, and she's sitting there on television. She's not dead. That's exactly Bill Maher's point. So there's protecting our family, and then there's being paranoid lunatics, and that's what we're being right now. You got vaccinated. You got boosted. People around you are vaccinated and boosted. How much more protection do you need? That is Bill Maher's point. When does this stop? When does this go away? don't have to do it, but stay away from everybody. Because if you're the one who's not paying attention and you're coughing and sneezing, you don't want to, do, then stay out of the public, man. This is not, nobody wants this. I don't want it. And I think he's forgetting that people are still at risk who cannot get vaccinated. People who can't get the, Little kids under the age of five. No, they're not. People with health conditions. How dare you? First of all, little kids under the age of five are not at risk. The death rate of little kids over under the age of five is less than 0.1%. Okay? So stop with the lies and the fear mongering and the paranoia. But you see what happens here, right? This is This is what's happening. This is what we're doing. What we're doing is we're scaring everybody. We're still scaring people because people love control. People love the control. And it has to stop. (laughs) I don't know when we're going to get back to normal, but I know that this is no way to live. This is no way to live. And that's the only point that, that Bill Maher was making. And for that, he gets savaged by Whoopi Goldberg. Savaged by Whoopi, who just had COVID and is on television alive to savage him. Think about the irony of that. Flip it, man. Well, they still like, people they're, they're over it. Like, yeah. like a relationship. I'm yeah. over it. I don't feel like I don't saying think it anymore. To the post-mask part, because I think there's a prudence we've learned with the mask, the hand sanita- uh, hand sanitizing that kind That's of like what the clip I you flying, is always going to be here now. There's a new normal. In the I don't want it to be a new normal. People didn't want to fly, and the security measures felt like, uh, how do we do this, you know? And now it's the norm. I think some of the things we've learned in this pandemic are going to stay the same. I may never ride a subway again without a mask. I may never go indoors okay? to big crowds and ever feel comfortable without a mask. And that's up to me to do that. What I what I think is changing, though, are some of the things that are happening and treating this virus as it is right now, as we did in 2020 and 2021. Because this Omicron variant, one interesting statistic is if you're vaccinated and boosted, the deaths are now equal to those of people dying of the flu mm-hmm. each year. So the people so maybe we get back to normal life and treat it like the flu. Just saying. Have a great rest of your day today. Thanks so much for listening. Appreciate it.